The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Right, welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker, and you are listening to episode number 57, or you're watching episode 57 on YouTube. If you haven't tuned in in a while, we're doing these things on YouTube now, live, unedited. So get over to YouTube, search for MMA on the Rocks, and if you want to see our faces while we do this thing, that's the place to do it, and they'll send you a notification when we go live. You get the unedited version of MMA on the Rocks. We're coming up on a year of doing this podcast uh, at the end of July here uh, kind of flew by. I can't believe it's been that long. So definitely thanks to everybody who's ever listened to an episode and for everybody who's been listening since the beginning, there's quite a few of you and the man who's been with me since this all started, I hear him cracking a beer over there, I think. So he's, (laughs) he's getting ready. Uh, (laughs) Jeff, the animal Wilson is here with a, with a fresh new haircut. For the podcast today how you doing this uh sunday afternoon my friend bill i'm awesome and honestly i know it's been a year but i'm still having fun with the show man uh, i love talking about fights talking about whatever we're drinking and as for the haircut i had to go with the jesse taylor man and we'll get into that in a little right bit. on ultimate fighter tough 25 season winner i think you and i might be the only two people that watch the entire season and <laughs> as much <laughs> As much as I was into it, I I would even forget sometimes that it was on until you texted me and say, like, are you watching this? And, you know, I would flip it on real quick. Uh, probably the lowest rated season of Ultimate Fighter history, but I don't think that had anything to do with the content of the show or the quality, the caliber of fighters that were on the show. I think people are just kind of over it. They're over the tough format. They need something fresh. They need something new. Um, I, I can't really blame them. You know, the, the show hasn't changed too much. They, they tried doing the live version. They tried doing international versions. They tried a couple of different things, but you know, there's only so many ways to, to wrap a gift. You know, you can put it in a bag or you can put a bow on it. So it, it's still going to be the same thing inside, but uh tough 25 finale, man, what a card. Uh, I, I was really into that one you, you can't ask for for better free content than that on a friday night and um i gotta tell you before we get into all the mma action from the weekend jeff uh when i ask people for feedback uh they kind of been asking for more content besides mma surprisingly so uh, i'm gonna let you know something i've been into lately i've been watching a little bit of netflix and jeff you, you know me as well as anybody you know i don't watch a whole lot of tv or uh, movies or, or anything like that. But ha- have you heard of this show Glow on Netflix? No, it doesn't ring a bell. But what's yeah. that about? It's it's about uh, female professional wrestling in the 80s. Okay. And, and it stars Mark Marin, And Mark Marin kind of steals the whole show, in my opinion. I watched the, I watched the entire season. I'm not, a, I'm not ashamed to say I binge watched it, uh, you know, like a basic bitch. Uh, <laughs> the only thing, <laughs> the only thing I was missing was like some Pinot Grigio, <laughs> like, and like some Desperate Housewives episodes. But <laughs> that's that's oh. what I felt like watching the show. But no, it's really good. So it's uh, gorgeous ladies of wrestling, is Glow, and it's based on a true story about uh, you know building the the Glow franchise in the '80s. And what I really like about this show. They really capture the 80s, you know? You really feel like you're watching a show that takes place in the 80s. The production's awesome. Uh, the costumes, the scenery, you know, they they just nail it. And uh, the character's really interesting. After the first episode or two, I thought I was going to be really annoyed with the characters. Some of them are pretty uh, obnoxious. But, you know, they kind of grow on you. I, I watched the entire season in like a week and a half, and... I was really, I was really into it. So if you like '80s stuff and you're into uh, pro wrestling, 
uh, it's a good watch. So that's uh, that's what I've been into. So what are your thoughts, Jeff? Sound like something you'd want to check out? Uh, I'm not too sure because um, I don't really know if it's like a comedy or if it's more of a timepiece. But, Bill, what I've been watching lately, and this show is hilarious. I don't know if it's up too many people's alleys, but it's called The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Bill, it's okay. hilarious. The banter's awesome. Um, the secondary plots are awesome. The secondary character, Titus, it's the show is not about him, but he makes the show, which I think is amazing. Um, uh-huh. And it stars this chick named Ellie Kemper. She's from The Office and uh, a couple of movies, but I know her from The Office. I wasn't mm-hmm. too sure how I felt about her being in a lead role because she's more of a secondary character on The Office. But, dude, it's funny, man. It's a good show. It's really enjoyable. Season three just came out. I think I watched it in, like, a weekend. <laughs> so, yeah. um, good show. Get, really funny. We're both going to have to pick up some Pinot Grigio, I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Acting like a couple of basic bitches. <laughs> so, where's where's this show? This is on Netflix, too? Yeah, this is a Netflix show uh, made by Netflix also, I believe. All right. Cool. All right, let's get into some booze and violence. I, I'm sipping on some uh, some Sousa tequila right here. I'm re- getting ready to make some margaritas and head out to the beach after this. I'm, I'm feeling real nice, Jeff. Sousa is like one of the, uh, I don't want to say lower end because I don't want to put it down, but it, it's a bargain tequila. Um, it's definitely better than Jose Cuervo. Like, fuck that garbage. N- nobody, nobody needs to be drinking that. I remember that was like, the go-to tequila it was like the only one anybody talked about in college because it was like cheap and it, you know it was part of the four horsemen um i don't know if you ever do you ever do a four horsemen shot jeff it's a no, fucking terrible idea that sounds <laughs> like a horrible idea <laughs> yeah it was um it would be uh jim beam uh <laughs> jack daniels jose cuervo and i think i think captain morgan maybe i forget what the fourth one was but that these, this is what people did in when I was going to school. Um, so maybe I'm dating myself for anybody who hasn't hasn't heard of this. But Four Horsemen, definitely a bad idea. But a good idea, Sousa Tequila. Uh, it's not going to break the bank. Uh, those of you who listen to the show, you know I'm a big fan of silver tequila. So I'm sipping on some of this. Uh, but if you're going to do mixers like margaritas or tequila sunrise or anything like that, it's a, it's a good... Uh, good bargain tequila to go for and it's real smooth you know for for uh, a cheaper tequila you get a lot of bang for your buck there so i'm enjoying this i'm going to be enjoying some more of it after we wrap up the show and all right let's get into some fight talk so i want to start you know usually you start with the the biggest main event which in this case would be ufc 213 but i want to start with this ultimate fighter finale card because we we already started touching on it and uh, I was trying to tell you about this kid, Justin Gaethje, man, and uh, <laughs> the the hype is real. This kid, I think the only question was, you know, can his style stand up against elite competition? And I think to that question, we have a resounding yes after Friday night. What a fight. This was easily the best fight of 2017, maybe one of the best fights ever. Uh, Joe Rogan said it was it was like the best fight he had ever watched. He said he was going crazy in his hotel room. Uh, so I, I enjoyed the fuck out of this fight, man. Justin Gaethje kept coming forward, kept coming forward. Uh, every time he put Michael Johnson down, he let him back up. Uh, he's a guy who just loves to pressure on the feet. He takes a lot of damage. And Michael Johnson was, uh, you know, giving it right back to him, I think, he got away from his game plan a little bit and he got in a little bit too much of a brawl because he got in there and, you know, some guys just coming forward with his fist in your face. And if you're a fighter like Michael Johnson is, you're going to retaliate and the game plan kind of goes out the window. I think that's what happened there. And, uh, man, what a fucking fight. So what were your thoughts on this one before I, I get too far into it, Jeff? Yeah, this was organized madness. And I'll explain why. Because Johnson, he started off really well, man. And like you said, he was sticking to his game plan, and then it kind of turned into a brawl. But in that first round, Justin Gaethje starts off with some very hard leg kicks. And his corner was telling him, you know, start low, 
then go high. And it worked out beautifully for him. He was working the leg over. Then in the second round, he started working the body a little bit more. And then he just went into beast mode. And, mm-hmm. dude, this guy can take a freaking punch, man. He must have gotten his clock cleaned at least four times. Yeah. Four times I saw him get, like, rubber legs, and he stayed up. And it looked like he was going to go down, but he wouldn't. And it was it, – dude, this fight, I don't know how to describe it, but it was just such a good fight to watch. Definitely yeah. one to go back and watch if you missed it. Yeah, or even if you saw it, go back and watch yeah. it again. But yeah, if you if you skip the Ultimate Fighter finale because you were like, oh, I wasn't into the show and uh, whatever else, go back and watch this fight. This kid, Justin Gaethje, was the the lightweight champion in World Series of Fighting, and he was seventeen and zero coming into this fight. Uh, something I didn't hear mentioned too much, though. He's only been to decision twice, and. One of those times was a split decision victory over Melvin Gillard, who we all remember, uh, you know, longtime UFC veteran. He's been in and out of the UFC, real explosive fighter. That is a fucking crazy fight. Also, if you if you want to see uh, Justin Gaethje actually go the distance, that that fight was like an entire fight of what we saw against Michael Johnson, because those two, you know, Melvin Gillard's another guy who just keeps pressing forward. So he's only been to the decision twice. In 18 fights, he's got 15 knockouts. Uh, and there are a lot of guys in the 155-pound division who are going to be pissed off because he's going to leapfrog a lot of people. He comes into the UFC. His first fight is a main event against a top five-ranked fighter. or I'm not sure what Michael Johnson was ranked going into this. I think he was five or six, somewhere up there. And puts on you know one of the best shows ever. Uh one of the best fights ever. The only thing that concerns me is how much damage he takes. And when you hear him talk, it's like every fourth or fifth word kind of gets lost. So it's kind of like you have to kind of interpret what he's saying a little bit. I don't know if that's because that's just the way he speaks or if he's taken too many punches to the head. You kind of have to be concerned about the way he fights and his style. And he basically says, but as as much as you have to be concerned about it, it's fucking entertaining because he's, he pretty much says, the way I fight, I'm going to get knocked out eventually, and I don't care. I want to put on a show. Guy's also a, a two-time All-American wrestler, and the only time you'll see him take people down is to pick them up and slam them and then let them back up again because he doesn't want to have boring fights. So if you're a promoter, this guy's a dream. If you're a fight fan, this guy's a dream. If you're someone who's concerned about concussions uh, and brain damage, then this guy's a nightmare. Uh, and if you're and if you're a guy who has to fight him, then this guy's a nightmare. So, uh, dream and nightmare on on all spectrums, but definitely somebody everybody's going to be watching going forward. So, any other thoughts on this fight, Jeff? And what would you like to see next for both Gaethje and Johnson? Hmm. See, that's a tough question because Johnson has now lost, I want to say, four out of five or six fights. Mm-hmm. So his record isn't awesome. It's about 18 and 11, 18 and 12, something like that. So I don't know what you do with him, but Justin Gaethje, man, dude puts on a show. Yep. I mean, yeah, he takes a lot of damage when he fights, but he's also undefeated. Yeah. So something's working here. And. Honestly, I want to see him fight maybe Edson Barbosa or Kevin Lee. I think those are really good matchups for him. I think you're going to see brawls if he fights either one of those guys because both of those guys move forward. They hit hard, and Justin Gaethje's not afraid to do the same thing. So I think either one of those matchups will be awesome to watch. Yeah, for sure. And then he's calling out Tony Ferguson too, which I think would be an amazing fight. Um, but who knows what's going on with that guy? I don't know if he's holding out for a title shot or if he's holding out for Khabib or if he's waiting for Connor to come back. Um, and yeah, Michael Johnson's lost, you know, a s- significant number of fights lately. He's lost four out of his last five, like you said. Uh, but in between there, he has a knockout over Dustin Poirier, which says a lot and the guys he's lost to Justin Gaethje obviously we know is the real deal now Khabib Nurmagomedov number one ranked fighter right now and then Nate Diaz and Benil Dariush so 
Uh, and those were both close decisions that he lost to those two guys. So I think you could still um, – I think Johnson definitely still has some value in the division. He's a tough guy, um, but maybe give him somebody out of the top 10 next and let him get his legs back under him and build his confidence back up. What I liked about Michael Johnson is that he took this fight with Gaethje. You know, he's ranked fifth or sixth. He could say – he could have easily said no – I don't want to take on this guy who's a newcomer, but he's like, you know, I'm willing to take the fights that nobody else wants to take. And that's the kind of attitude that I really respect. And I actually gained a lot more respect for Michael Johnson than I had for him previously after this fight. His stock definitely went up in my book because of that attitude. He took the fight and then he put on a great show. I mean, I don't care that he's, I don't care if he's lost his last 10 in a row after that fight. I want to see him back in there again. Uh, so I hope, uh, he stays a, a main card fighter. All right. So moving forward, uh, Jesse Taylor, tough 25 redemption season winner. And what a redemption story. This guy went from like the ultimate tool bag to the ultimate fighter. I mean, he was just like possibly, it, you know how they were doing on I know a lot of you didn't see uh didn't see this season of tough but they count they counted down like the top 25 tough fighters of all time and if they did like the top 25 douchiest like he would have easily been in the top three possibly number one and the guy did a complete 180 and really turned his life around got his shit together he took like 40 fights since he last appeared on the ultimate fighter. And for those who don't remember or haven't been watching this season of tough, Jesse Taylor was on season seven, I believe. Uh, Jeff, not if you're with me season seven. Uh, yeah, I think it was either season seven or season nine, somewhere in there. So it was yeah. in a single digit. So yeah. a long time ago. Uh, and he was in the finals and they went out to Vegas while they were all still in the house. They went out to the casinos and he got, shit faced you know the way that we encourage people not to consume alcohol that's exactly what he did so it's too bad that mma on the rocks wasn't around at that time for him to listen to our alcohol disclaimer you know even if you fight recklessly drink responsibly and we stand by that uh, each and every episode despite uh just despite little slip-ups by <laughs> by my my co-host here so, uh, hey, but you know it goes straight it's fine yeah it happens to the best of us. I mean, that's why you're coming back looking fresh with your Jesse Taylor haircut and you're ready to go now. Take things take things seriously. Get back on the get back on the horse. But anyway, he went they went out. So every season on the Ultimate Fighter, Dana gives the guys a night out on the town in Vegas and he got shit faced and he's going around starting trouble in casinos and saying, I'm a USC fighter. Um, yeah, bad idea. Cause you know, he wasn't even a UFC fighter yet. He didn't have a contract. And then he kicked the window out of a limo and it just acted like a total asshole. So Dana White did the right thing and he kicked him off the show and he didn't let him come back to the UFC, even though he won 40 something fights and or he had 40 something fights in the meantime. Uh, so awesome redemption story. There, there were a lot of great stories on the season, you know, Joe Stevenson beating alcoholism and, uh, you know, Tom Galicchio uh, going to sell candy make selling candy machines because uh <laughs> you know he, he wasn't making enough money fighting um you know there, there were some really great th guys who had previously won ultimate fighter and then got cut from the ufc there were some great stories i think jesse taylor had the best redemption story so in the co-main event he took on diego lima who you know also had a great story he made it to the finals of his season the ultimate fighter and and came up a little bit short he looked great on this season uh, he's, his game has definitely improved a lot. He's got some excellent takedown defense. He was able to stuff a couple of Jesse Taylor's takedowns, but ultimately the relentless grappling of Jesse Taylor was just too much for him. And he was able to get a nasty, nasty rear naked choke in the second round. So any commentary on, uh, the redemption of Jesse Taylor and the actual fight itself, Jeff? Yeah, Jesse Taylor, I think he was my pick to kind of win it all just because he's he made it to the final before. He was probably one of the top guys going into this season of the Ultimate Fighter, and good for him, man. You know, he, he realized that he made a mistake, 
he said, you know, I'm not going to allow this to happen again. Now he went all the way. He's a UFC fighter now. So good for him. I thought that his fight with Diego Lima was good. But if he's going to be successful in the UFC, he needs to add something to his game, which is striking. Because a lot of guys at at the welterweight division and um, Dominic Cruz and Ken Flo did a good job of pointing this out. A lot of those guys, not only can they wrestle, they can counter wrestling and they can strike really well. So it, he's got to add something. He's a little too one-dimensional, um, but that's not to take away from his victory, man. Uh, he did what got him to the dance. He wrestled, he grappled, and that's how he won. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree with a lot of what you said. He's going to have some difficulty with the top five in that division because you have you have some killers and you have some guys with awesome takedown defense. You have guys who are awesome off their back. You know, you got Cowboy Cerrone floating around uh, somewhere in that top ten. Uh, you got guys like Good Luck holding Robbie Lawler down or holding Tyra Woodley down. Good luck getting close enough to Stephen Thompson to take him down, uh, or, or else you're going to be chewing on some kicks in the face. Uh, but yeah. You know, you you can't take away from his victory here. He it was hard fought, and, and you know this is a motivated Jesse Taylor, and he's training with Dwayne Ludwig now. So, you know, I don't expect him to become, you, you know, Stephen Thompson on the feet, or expect him to become Anderson Silva on the feet. But you know, he could add a few more tools to the toolbox, and I think he's going to have some success probably with the bottom half of the top ten, and then where he goes from there, we'll kind of see. You know, I'm excited to see him back. Uh, I love that he's, I love his relentless wrestling. You know, I'm a big fan of high level wrestlers, Jeff. Uh, I know I'm in the minority on that, (laughs) but that's okay. I'm happy being there. I'm happy to enjoy the fights that a lot of people consider boring, but I'm excited to see him finishing these fights. I mean, put James Krause unconscious uh, in the semifinals, and then he he finished Diego Lima, who's a tough guy to finish uh, in the second round. So, you know, he's really putting the pieces together. So uh, I'm excited to see Jesse Taylor back in there. I wouldn't mind seeing Diego Lima back again either. Give that guy another chance. I mean, you don't need to to get rid of these guys. Uh, a lot of uh, – and I'll jump around the card a little bit. A lot of the people thought James Krause would kind of walk through this tournament just because he was the only guy still under contract with the UFC. That wasn't really the case, and I don't really think he had that great of a redemption story. I mean, he was already in the UFC. He was still under contract. And the only drama he brought was like, people think I can't fight because I'm a pretty boy and I can fight. Oh, cool story, bro. Uh, and, and <laughs> you know, I don't know from, from a marketing perspective, which, you know, I'm always, I'm always looking for that angle, Jeff. I'm looking for, you know, how's, what's the promotion going to be able to do with this guy? Uh, I don't really, I don't really see anything. And, you know, if he was like some kind of world beater, if he was out there, putting performances on like Justin Gaethje, different story, you know, great. Uh, he, he had a unanimous decision over Tom Galicchio, who's really a lightweight anyway. Uh, so the fact that he couldn't put him away doesn't really say much for him. He doesn't have that great of a story, uh, but, you know, he's a solid fighter. So uh, power to him. Uh, I'll, I'll watch him fight again, but, y- you know, he doesn't really do much for me. And... I think Jesse Taylor definitely had the the better story coming out of that show. Uh, so I'll move on unless you have anything on the James Krause, Tom Galicchio fight, Jeff. Uh, not really. I, I guess I didn't watch it, but it kind of sounds like it went the way everyone would expect. Yeah. All right. So uh, next fight, I'll move back up uh, towards the main card. Drakkar Close and Mark Casey had a pretty exciting fight. Very back and forth. Um, you know, there was a lot of drama going into this. I don't know problems they had with each other. Um, close, uh, came away with a split decision and I don't, I feel like he got a little disrespectful on a microphone. I kind of tuned him out, uh, after the fight was over. Uh, my feeling on it is like, once you beat the guy, you know, that's it. You won, shake hands and walk away. It's over. There's no reason to hold a grudge. Uh, I don't hold grudges against anybody, and I, I expect the same level of professionalism from guys at this level. 
so he's like screaming and cursing and and trying to call people out and uh, I wasn't really digging his attitude after the fight but you know he did put on a good fight so you know you got to give him credit there any, any thoughts on this one Jeff yeah I thought this was a really entertaining fight uh, I thought close it did the or close I don't know how to pronounce it um, um, <clears throat> did a really good job of neutralizing Jakisi's uh, super flashy offense with very hard leg yeah, leg kicks. Uh, I think it was two or three leg kicks that brought Jakisi down for a sec. So I think he went in with the right strategy. You know, he pressured Jakisi, didn't give him enough space to get anything off. So I thought he did a good job. Um, as for the comments, I think I went to the bathroom right after his fight. Uh, so I didn't really listen to what he said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, we don't need to get into it. He was just like, you know, kind of being an asshole. So uh, we'll leave it at that. Uh, we'll give him his due for winning the fight, and we'll move on. Uh, Jared Cannonier uh, taking on a last-minute replacement, and Nick Rorick, who is undefeated coming in, took the fight on a few days' notice, I think. Uh, looked really tough. Uh, could take a, a punch and a half. We know Cannonier hits real hard. Uh, what I didn't like from Cannonier is he fought kind of flat-footed, and he throws a lot of his punches with his upper body, and he's got crazy fast hands, but he he sits real heavy on his legs. And for a division with some strong wrestlers, I mean, we saw Glover Teixeira was able to take him down with no problem and hold him down on the ground, and he wasn't able to finish him. But, you know, when you stay so heavy on your legs, uh, you, you kind of welcome the takedown. And Rorick didn't really take advantage of that. And, you know, it was his it was his UFC debut, I think, and he took the fight uh, last minute. So who knows what kind of shape he was in. So Cannoneer, uh, you know, very solid competitor in a division that's, you know, pretty shallow right now. You know, you got your top three in John Jones, Daniel Cormier, and Gustafson. And then beyond that, uh, it's kind of like, it falls off real quick. You know, you got the top of the mountain and then you got some guys that, that might need some Sherpas to lead them up there and uh, <laughs> to, to use a certain metaphor. Any thoughts on the uh, Cannoneer Rorick fight that I didn't hit on Jeff? Yeah, I agree with you. I think Jared Cannoneer was a little bit too square when he fought, but man, he hits hard as hell, dude. And yeah, you know, it was a pretty entertaining fight. Uh, I don't know how you felt about it, but I enjoyed it. Uh, but, yeah, I agree with you that Jared Cannonier, I think he can make some ripples in this division, but probably not waves. Um, like mm -hmm. you said, I don't see him getting too far against the Gust of Sins or Daniel Cormier or John Jones. Uh, I would like to see him maybe fight Jimmy Manua at some point. I think that would be really cool. Uh, because they're both really good strikers. So that would be kind of fun to watch. But I don't know if yeah. I see him winning that one because uh, Jimmy Manoa was a tough dude. Yeah, Manoa, uh, you know, with his footwork and and his striking ability, uh, I'd have to favor him a lot in that one. And he's got a fight coming up. Uh, I think it. he's going to be fighting on the, the Jones-Cormier card. And they told him to be ready to step up in case one of those mm -hmm. guys pulls out, which is a distinct possibility. Of course, uh, since they both pulled out of fights with each other multiple times. Um, the way I think about it is, you know, what would Daniel Cormier have done or what would Alexander Gustafson have done to a guy who was making his debut and was fighting, uh, you know, on three days notice or something like that? It would have been a disaster. But anyway, uh, before that, Brad Tavares and Elias Teodoro, I thought this was a great fight. I thought it was you know, really back and forth. Uh, a lot of people thought that Theodoro could have gotten a decision. I, I kind of scored it for him, but I didn't think it was, I didn't think it was like a robbery. It wasn't like, it wasn't one of the worst decisions I've ever seen. Um, but I, I did, I did score it for Theodoro. Um, but at the same time, Tavares looked good. And I think he landed the bigger power shots. Um, I think he did a great job neutralizing the pace of Theodoro because he, he has a ridiculous pace. He comes with a lot of volume. Um, but he was throwing stuff from pretty far away. So he wasn't landing too hard. And when he was throwing kicks, um, you know, he was kind of landing at the end of his kicks. And usually you want to land like with the shin 
or you know, a harder part of the leg. Uh, so he's kind of like just kind of smacking him around, like giving him like the the Zohan treatment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so uh, I, I thought they both looked good, though. I thought th this was an entertaining fight. Um, definitely looking forward to seeing them back, both back again. Uh, I think they can both compete in this division for sure. And I, I think they both uh, showed some areas that need improvement. But, you know, I think they're, they're both exactly where they need to be at this point in their careers. What were your thoughts on this one, Jeff? Yeah, this was really entertaining. I really enjoyed this fight. And uh, I kind of am in the same boat. I had it slightly for Theodoru, but I'm not upset that Brad Tavares won either. Um, however, I thought that both of these guys fought with a lot of intelligence. I thought there was a lot of technique being shown. Mm -hmm. I thought that there was a lot of really smart, minute decisions. I don't know if that makes sense, but like little things like where they were putting their hands, um, what grip they were trying to break off first before moving into another position. Yeah. Uh, like those little details I really loved and I enjoyed seeing. And I think that both of these guys have really, really bright futures. And I want to see them fight again once they kind of grow into their own potential a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, good things in the future for both of these guys, I think. Uh, so I'll kind of glaze over a couple of other things and you tell me what jumps out to you. Angela Hill uh, coming away with a unanimous decision over Ashley Yoder, uh, James Krause, Tom Glickio, we already kind of brushed on. CB Dalloway getting the nod over Ed Herman. Uh, I kind of mentioned last week that might be a loser leaves town kind of matchup. And uh, one of the most impressive victories on the card, I thought, was Tisha Torres choking out Juliana Lima. Uh, I thought that was a, uh, that was an impressive victory for her. And then uh, Gray Maynard, you know, you know how I feel about that one. So <laughs> <laughs> let's leave that one alone. Uh, so out of those fights, Jeff, anything you want to touch on before we jump over to uh, – UFC 213 and change gears over to that. Uh, I think that Tisha Torres' fight was pretty impressive. I didn't watch it, but just looking at the result, uh, Juliana Lima was a tough chick. She's tough on the ground, tough everywhere. She's pretty solid uh, in all areas of MMA. So for Tisha Torres to get a rear naked choke on her is an awesome victory. Um, and I believe these are 115ers, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, so she yeah. looked good. Uh, that, that, was, that was the one... Uh, that kind of stood out to me out of the undercards and you know solid card overall i really enjoyed it you can't like i said you can't ask for better free entertainment than this on a friday night uh, anybody who's complaining about this card is out of their mind there were some solid fights and i really enjoyed it so good card good card and that was just kind of the appetizer to uh the entree which was ufc 213 supposed to be headlined by women's bantamweight champion amanda nunez and challenger Valentina Shevchenko. This was a really interesting matchup, and I think a lot of people were really intrigued by it, and it's a shame that Amanda Nunez had to pull out at the last minute. Uh, she got sick after the weigh-in. She was cleared. Everything was fine with her medicals, and then out of nowhere, she had to be hospitalized, and she pulled out of the fight. I am pretty positive that she had a good reason for doing so, uh, you know, she's tough as nails and, you know, we know she's a game fighter. Uh, I don't know if there was a complication with her weight cut or if she got some kind of virus. Um, you know, who knows what it was? I don't think that information has been released yet, but I'm sure it was something serious. The positives that came out of this was Joanna Janjacek. I don't know if you heard about this, Jeff, was in attendance for International Fight Week. And she was attending the cards, and she said, I'll step up and fight Valentina Shevchenko on one day's notice. I'll fight her at 135, or we can create a 125 division right now, and we can fight for the title. And Valentina was pushing for this. And I heard a lot of people talking online about, like, yeah, let's make this happen. Um, with less than 24 hours' notice, there's no possible way an athletic commission would have sanctioned this fight. And like Joanna was saying, you know, Dana White, this is your town. You run this town. Uh, you can't get around something like that. And for a lot of good reasons, you know, as much as I respect Joanna, and this is the kind of champion you want representing the sport because she said, you know, it's 
and I love I love how she said this in an interview with Megan O'Leary. She said, "It's not about winning and losing. This is about the sport of MMA." And that's the real attitude of a champion. You know, she's not worried about her record or her legacy or anything like that. This is a real fighter, uh, which is more than we can say about, you know, many of the champions and the way they've been acting uh, in this sport. And I'm not one to complain about a lot of things. I don't like hearing complaining, uh, but some of the champions just haven't been acting like champions. So it's really refreshing to see someone have that kind of attitude. You know, the same kind of attitude we were talking about earlier with Michael Johnson. He'll step up and take on anybody. He doesn't care if he takes some losses. He'll take the fights that nobody else wants to take. So awesome to see Joanna stepping up like that and and willing to take on a bigger opponent and on less than a day's notice um, was awesome. But obviously for her health and safety, you know, you can't get the medicals cleared that quickly. And then there's not enough time for her to weigh in, you know, within the, the, the required amount of time that it's taken. So, you know, if Nunez had pulled out, you know, maybe hours earlier, it would have been possible. But uh, as soon as I heard this, I knew it wasn't going to happen. But uh, what were your thoughts on this fight getting canceled, Jeff? And did you hear about all of the Yuani on Jacek news? And what was your reaction to that if you did? And if you didn't, what was your reaction to it right now? Yeah, I, th- I think it's awesome, dude. I love it. You know, uh, Yana Yanjechek, she's a Spartan, dude. She's got that warrior spirit, and I love it. And I feel like if she had already been on the card, they probably could have sanctioned this fight. But unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. However, mm-hmm. um, the whole Nunez situation was a little weird because um, I went to a friend's house to watch the fights last night. And right before I left, I was watching an interview with Dana White, and he basically said, you know, uh, Nunez wasn't feeling well. We took her to the hospital. She, medically, she was cleared. Mm-hmm. But then uh, the next morning, and this is the morning of the fight, she said she still wasn't feeling well. Uh, they took her back to the hospital. Again, apparently she was medically cleared to fight. Uh, so a lot of people are kind of upset that the fight didn't happen despite all this. But, I mean, none of us know what's going on. Maybe she's not feeling something right in her body. Uh, like you said, maybe a bad weight cut. Uh, who knows? Maybe she's got a virus coming in. Who knows? Um, but I don't think that took away from this card at all. I think that the main event, I think Romero and Whitaker uh, stole the show, man. I thought it was an awesome fight. Um, so I, I'm i just glad that there was another title fight already in place. Like uh, when Henan Barrow pulled out from the TJ Dillashaw rematch uh, for mm-hmm. the belt, TJ fought Joe Soto, and that was – that was a kind of a foregone conclusion of who was going to win there. Um, so I'm glad that this card wasn't as badly affected as it could have been. Yeah. And so let's just jump right into that main event. Um, I, I mean, you can't ask for, it would have been kind of hard for the the ladies as awesome as that fight would have been. It would have been hard to follow Whitaker Romero. Uh, they, they both stepped up and they put on a hell of a main event and, it was kind of <clears throat> so I I never really pick a winner of, of fights as a lot of you know uh, I'll kind of give my ways for either fighter to win and and pass to victory and things like that that's the way I prefer to do it not because I'm some kind of consummate professional just because uh, you know I like to play devil's advocate and I like to kind of analyze how things could play out now what I had said last week was that the first two rounds and the fifth round were for Whitaker to win, and the third and fourth were going to be for Romero to win. I think uh, it played out a little differently than I thought. I did say that if it went to distance, it would favor Robert Whitaker, and it it did. I mean, he clearly won the last three rounds, but the, the rounds were kind of reversed. So Romero laid back in the first couple of rounds, but he had more output than Whitaker, who was also kind of laying back and got injured early in the fight. Uh, I guess he had a pre-existing knee injury, and Romero kicked him right in the knee. And he basically said, he told his corner, my knee's fucked. And, you know, he he fought through it, man. I mean, he had to shake it off in the second round, and he was a little wobbly on it. But, you know, the adrenaline took over, and 
you know, he, he put it on Romero in those, in those last three rounds. And it was really tense to watch because you, Romero's a guy, you know, could explode at any given moment. I expected those explosions to happen in the third and fourth rounds. And, you know, they kind of did. He had some little sparks, but it wasn't the usual explosiveness we see out of Yoel Romero. I think he tried to pace himself a little too much and then he tired himself out pacing himself. Uh, that's kind of, <laughs> it's, it's, it sounds kind of funny, but I mean, when you carry that much muscle around you with you, you know, muscle uses oxygen and when you use up oxygen, you get tired. So even conserving energy tired him out. <laughs> um, but you know, all the credit to Whitaker on one leg beat one of the toughest guys on the planet. Uh, you know, a lot of people consider Yoel Romero to be the best uh, middleweight. Um, I think Romero's uh, stock didn't go down with this one, though. I think he looked great uh, against a top opponent. And I I know a lot of people don't like him because of all the cheating and the stool gate against Tim Kennedy and, and all that stuff. And, and I'm with everybody on that. But I really felt for Romero during the fight and I don't know if you caught this, Jeff. Michael Bisping was sitting right behind Yoel Romero. And at one point, Yoel Romero turned around and looked at Bisping. And Bisping ripped a Cuban flag in half and threw the pieces at Romero. And this was right before the start of the fourth round. Um, I thought that was tasteless by Bisping. I thought it was, you know, kind of crossing the line, disrespect, disrespectful. It's one thing to sit there and, like, talk shit to the guy and try to get in his head. but you know the guy is really passionate about his country. I mean, he was an Olympian, uh, you know, competed in the Olympics for his country. He's he's a proud Cuban. Uh, so to me, what that says, and, and you know, Bisping's a, a good champion, and he's a tough guy, but to me what it says was that he was rooting against Romero because he didn't want to fight him. And he really wanted to piss him off so he would go out there and make mistakes. And I don't know if that affected Romero's performance. It didn't seem to. It didn't seem like he went out there pissed off. But either way, I thought that was a shitty move uh, by Bisping. And it, it was just it was really unnecessary. I don't know I don't know what his angle was there. I would kind of like to hear him defend himself about it. I think it's pretty indefensible, though. Uh, I, I see from the look on your face, Jeff, that you didn't know this happened. <laughs> um, so let me get your reaction to it then. Yeah, I didn't see this happen. And that, that's a really big lack of class and character to do something like that. And I, I really don't like that. Um, you know, this guy, he's basically in the fight of his life right now. And you're, you know, it's one thing to get in his head, but now you're, you're basically insulted his entire country and England's not that great anyway. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> But yeah, dude, um, I really don't appreciate that at all. Not just as a fan, but as as someone who who sees MMA as not just violence. You know, there's technique, there's a craft, there's an art to it. So for me, that that really is disappointing to see from Michael Bisping. And you know, Bisping is already not that likable. Um, I really. Mm -hmm. I, I try to be, you know, professional about it, but I, I'm not a fan of Bisping at all. Um, and, you know, something like that is just, it really doesn't sit well with me at all. And then yeah. uh, before we get into the fight, uh, well, back into the fight, Bisping, after Whitaker uh, won the interim belt, he comes in and Bisping says, you're standing there looking like a champion, but you're not a champion. And he throws... The, his belt on the floor and says, fight me for that. Um, and it's like, dude, I mean, you beat Luke Rockhold. Well, Luke Rockhold beat himself. Let's be honest. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I, you can't really blame Luke Rockhold because Bisping, I didn't think he beat Anderson Silva. Um, and then your only title defense is against a dude who's like 59. Um, yeah, <laughs> and, and you still almost got knocked out twice. So yeah, yeah, a lot of people would argue that he lost that fight, and you know, fair to say because uh, Henderson didn't have a scratch on him after that fight, and Bisping was was pretty beat up. Um, yeah, so a, t a total la lack of class. I don't want to interrupt you, Jeff, if you had a, if you wanted to go further on that point, but 
total lack of class all around from Bisping. And here's a guy who is kind of, I'm all for people pushing the envelope. You know, I think fighters need to establish their brand and market their brand. And if you want to be the bad guy, great. Go out there and be the bad guy. There is a tasteful way to do it, though. And doing things like ripping up an, another country's flag uh, while uh, against a guy you're not even fighting uh, and doing, you know, other things like calling Luke Rockhold a faggot at a press conference. Like, there, there are things that you shouldn't do. And, you know, he kind of he dances on that line, which is great. But when you cross that line, it's just like, it's kind of cringeworthy. It's not stuff you want to see, uh, you know. And I, now I would almost like to see, uh, you know, Bisping fight Romero just, <laughs> just for that fact. I mean, they almost went at it when Bisping came in the octagon after the fight. But let's not uh, let's not waste too much time on this because I don't want to take away from Robert Whitaker's uh, victory here. And unfortunately, there's no guarantee that he's going to get an immediate title shot. I mean, interim belt or not. Uh, I have a feeling Bisping's still going to be pushing for a fight with George St. Pierre, which is not going to win him any more fans either. And, you know, he may very well uh, retire after that. You know, I don't think he has a lot of fights left in him. I think his goal is to uh, take the path of least resistance and retire with the belt and then move on to broadcasting or move on to doing something else. So, yeah, Bisping not looking so great, but Robert Whitaker. Uh, looked awesome. I mean, beat one of the best guys in the world on one leg. Uh, you can't, there's not much more you could say about it. Uh, <laughs> beat one of the best guys in the world on one leg. So awesome performance from him. Anything else on this fight itself, Jeff? Yeah, I haven't even talked about the fight. Dude, the fight was <laughs> awesome. Um, and like you said, things went a little bit differently than we had kind of predicted here, where Romero... He still was pacing himself, but he was uh, outworking Whitaker a lot in the first two rounds. And then I, I don't know what Whitaker's corner said to him. I don't know what happened. But the Robert Whitaker that started that fight was not the same Robert Whitaker that walked out for round three. Um, he was coming yeah. in with some, yeah, he was coming in with some super powerful shots, some nice uh, teeth kicks to the body, really stiff jabs. His sprawl was phenomenal. Um, you know he drilled that at least a thousand times a day because I don't think that Romero landed a single takedown in the last two rounds just because mm -hmm. of how good Whitaker's sprawls were. Um, dude, I don't think you could have had a better fight. Um, the only thing that I didn't like was at, during the last round, and I kind of just blame this on both guys being exhausted, but the last round, it didn't look like it belonged – in the same category as the other four rounds. Okay. Um, things had slowed down a little bit. Uh, both of these guys looked like they were just going to fall from exhaustion. But uh, I think what really won the fight and the fifth round for Whitaker was a right hand that dropped Romero, and then Whitaker finished the round on top. Uh, it looked like Romero was just too tired to, to really fight out from under it. Um, it looks like he doesn't work too all, too often off his back also. And Whitaker was just doing enough to, you know, win the round and with his short elbows, short punches. And I think that really won the judges over for him. Yeah, definitely. So he looked awesome in his fight. So I, I hope to see him have a quick recovery with his leg injury. And, uh, you know, I want to see him get in there against Bisping. And if Bisping loses, I want to see Bisping Romero. You know, I'm sold on this fight. Uh, you know, the marketing's already done for it. It's prepackaged. It's gift wrapped. Um, you know, you could do it easily. But I think uh, I don't see any scenario where Bisping will agree to a fight with Romero. And I think that's why he's doing the things he's doing, just to see him uh, get riled up and make a fool of himself. Um, I thought Romero handled things uh, in a very classy way, even at the press conference when he was being asked about the flag being torn up. He, he was basically like, well, how would you feel? Do you have a flag? Do you love your country? Would you die for your country? Because I would. Mm. And he's like, so, you know, decide for yourself how that made me feel. And he was really sincere about it. And he didn't get angry. But, you know, he, he showed like he was genuinely upset 
you know, like his, his feelings were hurt over this and, you know, he didn't react like some kind of Neanderthal. He reacted like someone who, you know, just had their country disrespected and, and he didn't appreciate it. And I can't blame him. Um, so let's move on. The, the co-main event, a little bit lackluster. It was a trilogy fight between Alistair Overeem and Fabricio Verdum. Uh, Overeem coming away with a majority decision. So one judge scored it a draw which I think was kind of fair. And a lot of people thought Verdum got robbed here. I didn't see it that way. Um, now, keep in mind how these fights are scored. Uh, they're scored a round at a time, and the winner of the round gets 10 points. It's a 10-point must system, just like boxing. Uh, I scored the first round for Overeem, even though not a lot happened. Uh, he, he just landed more. I mean, it wasn't a spectacular round, but you know he won the round. The second round was clearly a round for Overeem. Uh, he, he did a lot more damage. And the third round clearly went to Verdum. Now, Nevada has not adopted the new unified rules, which I don't know why you can even call them unified rules at this point if some states haven't adopted them. <laughs> they're, not, they're not unified. <laughs> if, if all the states aren't, <laughs> the definition of unified means that, you know, Everybody agrees to them, and everybody is not. You know, Nevada and Texas haven't adopted them yet, and two of the biggest uh, states where these fights take place. I mean, I think like 55% of the fights take place in Las Vegas, so how can you call the rules unified if they're not using them there? Under the new rules, that third round would have been a 10-8 round for Verdum, and I would have scored that fight a draw. But under the current rules and the way that the fights are scored, uh, I scored the fight for Overeem, so I think two of the judges got it right. And I don't necessarily agree that you know he sh he deserved to win the fight because he didn't do that much. But you know, don't like they say, don't hate the player, hate the game. So if you're mad at this, you know, you need to get mad at the way these fights are scored, not at the performance of the athletes because they're going to perform uh, to win under the rule set that they're fighting under and under the way the fights are judged. So, you know, the way these fights are scored, uh, Overeem did enough to win. So I, I can't really contest that, but some people thought Verdum got robbed here. Uh, and he did look great in that third round. He definitely had the most impressive round, uh, out of the three rounds. Uh, what were your feelings on this one, Jeff? Yeah, this fight didn't do much for me. Um, honestly, I think that if it had been scored, if it had gone to a decision and the decision would have been a draw, I think nobody would have been upset. Um, I didn't see either of these guys doing enough to win over the other, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, you wouldn't have been disappointed either way if the fight went either way. Yep. All right, cool. Let's move on. Uh, Curtis Blades and Daniel Omelanchik. This fight didn't do anything for me. Curtis Blades was advocating for a rematch with Francis Ngannou. I don't think he did anything to warrant that, so I'm going to skip right over this one unless you have anything on it. Jeff? Nope. nope, we can move on, Bill. Cool. So let's touch on Anthony Pettis and Jim Miller. I thought this was a fucking phenomenal fight. Um, you know, I, I was kind of torn because it's great to see Anthony Pettis uh, back in Anthony Pettis' form. But it's always rough to see Jim Miller take a beating. Uh, he's such a warrior. He's so tough. Uh, it's so hard to get him out of there and finish him. Uh, and he made Pettis fight his fight. You know, he made it dirty. He made it gritty. Uh, and, you know, Pettis was able to fight Jim Miller's fight and still beat him. So definitely impressive performance for Anthony Pettis. Kind of a, uh, you know, a return party. He said he learned a lot. Uh, by cutting down to 145 and really, you know, killing himself, cutting down in a weight class he didn't belong in. And he says that fighters should fight in their natural weight classes and and not do that to themselves. Um, so, I again, Jim Miller, uh, I'll watch that guy fight <laughs> every single time. Anytime Jim Miller's on a card, uh, I don't care if he's coming off of 20 losses in a row, uh, I'm watching a Jim Miller fight. Uh, I'm a big fan, uh, winner law, winner lose. And, uh, you know, Jim Miller doesn't lose any respect in my book over this performance. And Anthony Pettis, I think redeemed himself a little bit. Um, you know, he might've gotten a little bit too tan 
for this fight. But other than that, he looked great. <laughs> so uh, maybe it was just in comparison to Jim Miller, he looked too tan. <laughs> but uh, what were your thoughts on this one, Jeff? Yeah, um, I agree with you, Bill. I think Pettis looked good. I think he's starting to look like Showtime again. But, mm -hmm. dude, Miller took a beating, man. I mean, I don't know how else to describe it. He looked like he had a really long fight. But, again, like you said, no respect lost for Jim Miller. He's a tough dude, tough as old shoe leather. Uh, I don't know, <laughs> you know, I don't know what else you can say about him. I love watching him fight. Uh, unfortunately, things didn't go his way last night. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and the other thing about it is Jim Miller is never out of a fight. I mean, even I thought he lost the first two rounds and even going into that third round, he's still coming forward. He never gives up. Uh, you know, he's really got so much heart. Uh, you know, if you looked up heart in the MMA dictionary, there damn well better be a picture of Jim Miller's face next to the definition. Uh, so awesome fight from both guys. A lot of people were kind of clamoring after this one. Uh, for Anthony Pettis uh, and Justin Gaethje, um, honestly, that would have been an awesome fight. You know, it, Anthony Pettis, like, more in his prime, like, championship caliber Anthony Pettis and Justin Gaethje now. I think after the performance Gaethje just put on, I think you kind of have to put him above, you know, a few classes above Anthony Pettis at this point. You know, maybe if Pettis strings together a couple of wins and he gets back to, you know, his flashy striking and, and things that kind of made him famous, uh, in the WEC days and, and his early career in the UFC. Uh, then I think that's a great fight down the line, but I think, I think Gaethje kind of leapfrogs where Pettis is at his current status. And, you know, I think you gotta, you, you gotta strike while the iron's hot here and put him against uh, a bigger name in the division. Uh, any thoughts on that, Jeff? Yeah, I think you uh I think you're on the money there, Bill. I think that this would have probably been a good matchup uh, right after Pettis beat Benson Henderson the second time for the belt. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, for sure. Um, so all that being said, um one more fight I want to go into detail on and then we'll kind of glaze over the rest uh for the sake of time. Travis Brown and uh, Alexi Olenek. I thought this was a phenomenal fight. I thought it was one of the best fights on the card. I think a lot of people underestimated Olenek. Um, you know, this guy is an anomaly. Uh, he has he has done so many peculiar things inside this octagon, and I'm really excited to see him fight again because this guy, I mean, we saw him with some serious punching power. The guy's got like, 60 fights and he's like yeah, i'm not really mma fighter i am wrestler and it's like dude you you've got, you got fucking 60 fights you you're an mma fighter and you're finishing a lot of you know high high level guys like you know for, and it, it's you know he's he's kind of hard to market but the guy's got a crazy uh highlight reel that you can't really explain to a casual fan you know you've got to be even a hardcore MMA fan, if you're not a practi practitioner of uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you don't understand what it means to get an Ezekiel choke on somebody who has you mounted. Um, and, and those of you who pr practice Jiu-Jitsu out there, you know how mind-blowing this is. But try explaining that to someone you know who's more like a Conor McGregor MMA fan, as as a lot of people call him. Like you know, they they watch the big pay-per-views and stuff like that. It's hard to market this guy, but if you're into grappling and into jujitsu, it's hard not to love his style. And he showed some knockout power in this fight. I, I think Travis Brown didn't look bad in, in the first round. And, you know, once he kind of got wobbled a little bit and, it, you know, he's he's got the better striking skill set out of the two. I mean, Olnick even said, you know, I'm not a striker. I'm not a boxer. I don't like to punch people. I don't like to get punched. I'm a wrestler. I like to wrestle and grapple. Um, he got the better of the striking in that second round to the point that where Travis Brown took it to the mat and uh, Olenek finished with a really crazy submission where he had like a sideways body scissor and like a, I guess it was a rear naked choke. That's what the, the official decision is, but it wasn't really because he was kind of, he was kind of on the side of him a little bit. And even when Bruce Buffer made the announcement, he just said by submission, 
Um, <laughs> so I wouldn't necessarily call it a rear naked choke. It was kind of like a, it was kind of like a no gi bow and arrow. I, I don't know. That that's the closest thing I could think to describe it. But it wasn't really a rear naked choke because he wasn't on his back. He was kind of on the side, and he had that weird body scissor. It wasn't like a it wasn't a body triangle, but he had you know he was constricting Travis Brown's uh, body and his breathing with his legs, and then he had his forearm across Travis Brown's carotid artery and was cutting off the airflow to his brain, and you know he would have gone out with that one, and then. Before that, he had some like crazy neck cranks that he was putting on. He was trying to crush Travis Brown's face. Uh, just really awesome performance by Olenek. I can't say enough uh, great things about this guy, uh, especially because you know if you don't have an appreciation for grappling, it, it's hard to understand uh, how good this guy is. So, what were your thoughts on this one, Jeff? Yeah, I agree with you, Bill. I thought that uh, Olenek looked really good uh, on the on the feet and then on the ground too, you know, uh, like you said, he got that weird Ezekiel choke. That's one of his big highlights. I mean, I don't know how you fucking get that on somebody who's got you mounted. Um, <laughs> because it's, it's so, um, unbelievably hard. It's just better to get it while you are mounted on somebody else. But anyway, um, yeah, dude, even that, um finish was really weird because it, it like it started out as like a rear naked choke but he didn't have it under the chin so he kind of moved his body over a little bit and then it mm -hmm. just turned into like a neck crusher i guess but uh yeah. really uh all has got some skills man and he's a little bit older but i would love to see him get back in there again because he got a huge win yeah for day. sure yeah and then as far as travis brown goes man this guy really had a fall from grace and then you know a lot of people kind of blamed uh training with uh what's his name ronda edmund. rousey yeah edmund tarvidian um he left that camp and uh he'd been training with josh barnett which is probably the best person you could train for going against uh you know a wrestler with the grappling skills of olenic but uh there's something about him man i, I don't know if he if his body just can't take anymore or if he's just mentally checked out, but he lost all that momentum he had coming in. I mean, this is a guy who had so much momentum early in his career. They were talking about him fighting for a title. And, you know, last night at the post-fight press conference, Dana White was like, yeah, Travis Brown needs to retire. I haven't talked to him about it yet, but, you know, that's the way I feel. And you know how Dana can be very blunt. So, yeah, um, it's a shame to see a guy with so much natural ability. You know, Travis Brown's a guy, too, who started very late uh, in MMA. And then, uh, <laughs> dude, I don't know if you saw this, because uh, I know you were at a party last night, so you probably weren't uh, skimming through Twitter. Derek Lewis tweeted <laughs> right after this fight. Mm -hmm. He just he just tweets, it's okay, Ronda. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> I oh god! I, I love the uh, I love the 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 the, uh, the Twitter interactions and the you know the humor of Derek Lewis. I really appreciate that. So that was really funny. Uh, the rest of this card, just for time's sake, because uh, we're going kind of long on this episode. Rob Font, uh, an impressive fight against uh, Douglas Silva de Andrade. Uh, got him with a guillotine choke in the second round. Uh, Chad LaPriest knocking out Brian Camozzi in the third round with a, a crazy liver shot that put Camozzi down against the cage. Uh, Tiago Santos, too much power for Gerald Mearshart, uh, who I've been pretty high on, and I I'm excited to see him back uh, despite his performance last night. Uh, I still think he has a lot of potential. And then Bilal Muhammad had a good fight against Jordan Mean, a lot of great grappling in that fight. And... You know, big KO for uh, Trevin Giles uh, over uh, James Baknovic or Baknovich. Um, so any of those stick out to you, Jeff, that you want to comment on before we wrap this thing up? Yeah, I think Chad LaPriest versus Brian Camozzi was nuts because he, mm -hmm. he hit him with this. Uh, first, he hit him with a stiff uppercut, and then he punched him like right under the solar plexus. And you just saw Brian Camozzi just fold up like an accordion and it was over. Yeah, it was pretty wild. Um, it was a pretty wild finish. 
and yeah, I mean, good good card overall. Uh, I mean, there were there were some definite lulls in it, uh, particularly with Overeem Verdum and the Blades Omelanchik. You know, I, I feel like that was kind of a that was kind of a downer. So uh, the next event on the horizon is a fight night next Sunday. So I don't know what we're going to do in terms of episodes here. Uh, maybe we'll do an episode previewing that next Sunday, and then we'll do a midweek uh, recap of that event. Uh, let us know on social media what, how you want us to cover this thing, and, uh, and we'll take it into consideration. But that's the way I'm leaning. So we'll do a preview next week of the upcoming Fight Night, which is headlined uh, by Gunnar Nelson and Santiago Ponzinibbio, uh, which is a pretty awesome fight. Uh, and uh, we'll we'll dig into that card next week. I guess I, you know what I'm just gonna say. That's what we'll do. We'll announce that. We'll we'll do a preview of that card next uh, Sunday, and then we'll do a recap in the middle of the week at some point. Uh, so, anything else uh, you want to get off your chest today, Jeff? That's all I got for you today, Bill. Yeah, well, we, we went over a lot. A lot to digest here. I'm going to digest some more salsa tequila. Uh, and I'm going to go mix up some margaritas and enjoy the rest of my Sunday. I hope the rest of you all do the same. If you want to get a hold of us, you can reach Jeff at animal underscore Wilson on Twitter. And you guys all know how to get me by now. It's at MMA on the Rocks on all your favorite social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, where you can see some of my uh, drink recipes. And we love hearing from you guys. Let me know if you're drinking anything interesting. Uh, I, I love hearing what everybody's drinking during the fights. So uh, that's what we've been doing on Twitter. And then Instagram, you can find all the MMA memes and, and goofy pictures I, I do on my free time. So... Uh, we're having lots of fun with this thing almost a year into it. Uh, thanks for tuning in, and that's all we got for this week. Cheers, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.